welcome to the show and thank you for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel because I've got uh, full episodes of the podcast there, plus some short clips and live musical videos that are really fun. And I'm working on making some short videos uh, for the YouTube channel. I've also been organizing all my episodes in a playlist by category. So check that out. Uh, I've had this clip of Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms uh, telling this great uh, story that's epic. It's like a year in the making, but I, I do plan to get that out soon. Um, so I'm excited for people to see that. Also, uh, I've booked up a lot of guests for the next month, and I'm really excited for everyone to see what I have in store. Some some really interesting authors, some someone from a very popular Netflix miniseries, and of course, we'll always have great musicians, some big-name bands, some indie bands, and a couple repeat guests. So that'll be fun. Uh, my guest today is Jody Porter. He's the guitarist from Fountains of Wayne. And of course, everyone knows their biggest hit, Stacy's Mom, and the epic video. But I didn't realize how many other great songs that band had. Uh, check out their Spotify or their YouTube and just even just listen to the top 10 songs on their Spotify, like Hack and Sack, Hey Julie, Mexican Wine, Someone to Love, just tons of great songs. Um, they also had a lot of songs in movies and TV shows, which we'll talk about, plus Jody's solo career, his first band, The Bell Tower, which was called Shoegazer Rock. And he's just got some great stories. He's a bit of a character, kind of like Lips from Anvil, but the polar opposite. Instead of intense and loud, he's very mellow and withdrawn, uh, but still equally hilarious. And you could probably listen to this episode on double speed if you want, and because uh, he just kind of slows down. It's, it's fun. But I do want to give a shout out to little Mikey, who does the parody songs for Howard Stern. He helped set this up and... Uh, I had fun chatting with Jody, so check out this interview and then go get his soul album, Waterways. Welcome, Jody Porter, to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Chuck. How are you? Great. So how do you know little Mikey? He's the one that uh, kind of hooked us up together. Well, I have Facebook, and he said he met me in my hometown of Charleston at some random place. And um, I've known Howard Stern, obviously, not just who he was, but... He was a champion of uh, Fountains of Wayne cover. We did a Britney Spears back in the day. Oh. Like, we covered ba Hit Me Baby one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before Travis. And the label wanted us to put it out. But Howard played it and was like, you know, it's pretty cool when a power pop band like these guys makes a crappy production sound like a good song. But the song was good to begin with. Yeah, for sure. No, and then, like having I real instruments. Really know if I know him to answer your question. He says we met in Charleston. I don't remember, but um, but yeah, little Mikey. He's the guy that does all the song parodies from Howard Stern. So yeah, he yeah, he reached out and uh, yeah, it's really cool. The radio, but I don't know him personally. But apparently, I met him in Charleston. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So you're are you in Charleston now? No, I'm back in New York and. Uh, uh, I grew up in Charleston, but right. I did my record mostly, well, part of it was done in England, but mostly in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So and, you, uh, yeah. So, sorry, go on. That's a result of my family moving from Charleston to North Carolina. So before COVID, I, you know, I went down there, saying, like, hmm, let's set up shop here and make a record, which I did. Which part and, of North Carolina? It's uh, Western North Carolina. The hub would be Asheville. It's about 15 minutes from Asheville. Okay. Yeah. My, my girlfriend's uh, family's from there. So I went there one time and visited and we went to Oak Island. 
I don't know if you know where that is, but I don't know, but it's definitely landlocked. So when you say island, I'm thinking you're on the coast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like on the eastern part. It's probably Cape Hatteras, one of those places. Yeah, it's really humid. I didn't. I wasn't a fan of the humidity, but you must have been used to it if you live there. It depends what time of year you're there. Yeah. So you had an interesting quote. You said, uh, "Music, you didn't, or sorry, you didn't choose music. Music chose you." And you, you kind of thought. You had, I don't know if you're just joking or like you think that maybe you were the the incarnation of uh, Brian Jones of from the Rolling Stones, the original founder. Are you a big Rolling Stones guy? I do like the Rolling Stones, but I like the Beatles equally as well. I think um, I never said I was the incarnation of Brian Jones, but within the context of Fountains of Wayne, I'd probably sympathize more with George Harrison and Brian and the Stones. You know what I mean? Right. But, uh, Brian's uh, girlfriend and Keith's baby's mama is on my record. So, oh, really? Yeah, Anita. She was a good friend of mine, actually. So who knows? Okay. So, yeah, but before Fountains of Wayne and your solo stuff, you were in this band called The Bell Tower, and it was it was, it was was called the shoegazing sound. Can you explain to people what the shoegazing sound is? Yeah, yeah I can. I can also explain where the term grunge came from from around the same period, there was a good journalist friend of mine who wrote for the NME in England, or maybe he's a melody maker, but he ended up at the NME, and his name was Steve Sutherland. And, you know, there was this whole attitude about there's not enough, like, you know, activity happening on stage. There's people with strobe lights going off behind them, backlit, you know, like Mary Chain, basically. Um and a wash of sound, sort of an ambient sort of thing. And we had a different approach to it, but shoegaze was not initially, I don't think, considered um, anything other than, you know, pedal pushers that are pushing effects pedals on the ground and not really, like, you know, doing anything active on stage. It was sort of like a very mellow kind of cathedral-esque environment and i don't think it was a compliment at first but everybody just took it and ran with it same with grunge grunge was uh i think also on the steves and um it you know it just became a thing didn't it remember mm-hmm. no definitely yeah well i think and like because what preceded that was obviously the hair metal and stuff like that where those guys were going crazy and smiling and jumping around stage so shoegazing was like a, a complete opposite to that and neither of those terms like you said are complimentary probably well i you know i was on all those bills with those bands before any of us broke over there the bell tower kind of bailed out before uh we had to be superly judged but we got a lot of good press and got a record deal and so but uh, you know it just seemed like something that was sort of a um journalists um you know, putting it in a box or something, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it it almost seemed like you didn't want to be in the shoegaze sort of environment, and we sort of just skimmed the surface of it, I suppose. But we're an American band, so I guess we got away with it. And you had some, you had kind of a cult. I, I mean, you have a reverb on a twelve-string Rickenbacker, and you know, maybe the song drags on a little longer than it should. I don't know. You define it. I don't know. 
Right. I think it sounds kind of like it's kind of like pop oriented, a little bit like The Cure. Is that fair to say? I think they had a little bit of stake in it, but um, you know, for me, it would go back to like say Brian Eno doing those ambient records in the seventies, and even the record he did with Bowie, the Low album, where it's mostly instrumental and. You know, there's just like synthesizers. So what we were doing over there was like, let's see what this pedal can do, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you get this cathedral sound with the long reverb, and then it does these crazy harmonics, and you just go with it. And um, it wasn't so much about, you know, like power pop, like Fountains of Wayne would have been, where you got your catchy chorus and your, you know, 16-bar verse with a four-bar bridge or whatever it was just like waft away kind of thing Mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of that on this waterways record which i told my record label i would show to you absolutely yeah oh for sure yeah no that's really cool i've been listening to it and your other uh, solo stuff as well and also the fountains of wayne which so did is uh is that how you met adam schlesinger the bass player and uh Songwriter, (laughs) that's cool. I haven't seen the actual CD, I've only listened on Spotify. I promised my label girl that I would uh rare rock it, so oh, absolutely, that's what you got to do. Another story there, she's cool as shit. This girl Brooke, who uh started a label, and it's called Rare Rock Records, and we're pressing vinyl right now, so the pre sale for that will be um probably popping up on Bandcamp next week. Oh, okay, nice, but yeah, so. With the uh, the bell tower, is that where you met Adam Schlesinger the for, for uh, uh, before Fountains of Wayne? Is that how you guys met? Because he did a song with you guys. I made all the records we ever made by the time I met Adam. And what we did is we I moved us back from London to Connecticut, and then we started making that record. But Adam didn't record on it. He just joined the band that was meant to do some tours. And the William Morris agency just kept giving me whack ass offerings, like stuff that I didn't, you know, sort of correspond with as making sense as a bill. And we would have been opening, you know, like, I don't know, I don't want to name names, but none of it was like on the uh, sort of target list for me to want to play with. So we ended up not doing much, but he came up and we rehearsed. So I put out an ad uh, in the Village Voice. And he showed up, and um, we just we hit it off immediately. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I said, once the bell tower moved back from London, we didn't do a whole hell of a lot. We made a record, and then it, you know, came out over there, and it sort of came out over here, but not not very many units shifted or anything. So, so then Fountains of Wayne started without you. It was just Adam Schlesinger and the singer Chris Collinwood, and it was. I thought this was interesting. They actually originally called themselves the Wallflowers. They never recorded under that name, and then they sold that name to Jacob Dylan. I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. I don't know about selling it. I think they made an agreement because oh. he had to use the name, and they basically made some sort of content. I don't. I never heard anything by Chris and Adams Wallflowers, but yeah, I've heard that story too, and um, obviously I know a little bit about it, but. I don't know if there's any money exchange necessarily. Okay. But so, yeah, then they worked in, under the name Pinwheel, and then they finally called it Fountains of Wayne, which this is the this is a terrible story. It was named after a lawn ornament store in Wayne, New Jersey. Like, what? That's like. Is that, how is that terrible? I don't know. I thought it would be something more interesting. I'll tell, or, you, I'll tell you that, and I'll make it short, too. If okay. Can. This is really not that press worthy, but. Uh, <laughs> 
Pounds and Wayne was a lawn ornament sto- uh, store in New Jersey. Okay. okay. And um, it was near the Lincoln Tunnel where Adam and his mom would go into the city. And Adam was in Montclair. He grew up in Montclair, New Jersey, where not too far from where I am right now, actually. Long story short, she always would, um, you know, drive him into wherever he was going. Maybe he was like doing a piano lesson or something. I don't even know. And Fountains of Wayne. And she's like, that'd be a good name for a band. Fountains of Wayne. Fountains of Wayne. And he, and he was like, that's a shit name. <laughs> and uh, eventually, when it came to it, that became the name. And as far as me getting involved with that, well, I got a call call from Adam to just check in with me because he had already done the stuff with the bell tower. And mm-hmm. It's like, what, what are you guys going to make a record? What are you doing? Are you going to tour anytime? I was like, I'm kind of over it, to be honest. And um, he's like, well, come join my band. I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll consider it. Because I hate going down to the South for more than a couple of years at a time. I grew up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, long story short, I can deal with a little less y'all. <laughs> so, and plus I was like married and about to divorce, separate at least. So I was like, yeah, I think I might do that. And it was only a two-week tour with Evan, who is a friend of mine, Dando from the Lemonheads, of course. Yeah. I thought I would be in that for about two weeks and get back to what I was doing, which was more or less trying to become a solo artist. Okay. <laughs> but I had to be in Tom's Wayne for two decades before I was announcing. Because I was sort of in and out of a, a town that I was starting to become too familiar with the town I grew up with, Charleston. Um, he's like, well, just come up here, drive up here. And you can park your car at my parents' house, which I did. And it was there for like two years in their tribe. Red Acura Legend for the uh, record. But, yeah, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into. And it sort of took off two weeks, turned into 20 years. Yeah. So before, I mean, we'll get to the, you know, your big hits and all that stuff. But before that, I mean, you guys you had built up a following and, and actually I didn't know this in 97 before anyone probably knew who you guys were. You toured with smashing pumpkins at their yeah. peak. So what was that like? Like what's Billy Corgan like? Cause he just seems like such an interesting guy to talk to. Like, does he have, do you have really deep conversations with him? I mean, his music is so dark. Is he dark? I don't think he's dark. Um, I don't know how to, describe. I don't really know the guy that well. I know James better actually. Uh, James was sort of a co-owner in our studio that we did all those records in Mm -hmm. and um, good friend, Um, Billy. I don't know. I mean, I think he's talented and everything, but we didn't really do a whole lot of mingling on that tour for one reason or another. Did the, did they reach out to you to be on the tour? Was that something the record label set up? You know, if I don't miss my guess, I think, Q Prime was our management company. They had the pumpkins. James was a big fan and supporter. And I think probably James walked it through. Okay. And it just made sense to everyone. Yeah. But that was a fucking weird tour. I mean, it was like, I played Reading Festival at the Bell Tower and big, you know, fields of people. So the, getting used to the arenas was interesting because... I don't think we'd ever had the proper, you know, light show and 
just, you know, not saying that we were Paul Abdul about it or anything, choreographed. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. It just strobe, like, pine in your face down. And it's like, okay, well, I still think I see my neck of my guitar. So it's more theatrical when you get in the arenas. For sure, yeah. So you're in this band for a few years, and then um, in 2001, you guys are dropped by Atlantic Records, which is the major label. Did you think at that point of giving up? Was there talk of that, of just calling it quits? We always thought about giving up just because we were sort of complicit, you know? It took us four or five years to make another record, even when we were sort of a band, you know, like, I don't think any of us really wanted to be rock stars, to be honest. We just wanted to make the records we wanted. And it would take us a few years in between the two. So as far as being prolific, I don't, I wouldn't say that we were, but we did. I don't think we wanted to be really. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, but, but then you, you got that, um, album the welcome interstate managers album that's your biggest album it has that hit stacy's mom obviously we got to talk about that and that video it's got rachel hunter and uh, i guess you guys tried to get rick okasic from the car or sorry his wife yeah his wife and him but neither one of them could do it so you got rachel hunter instead do you think he regretted not being in that video after he saw what how big of a hit it was i don't think rick was ever offered a camera. oh he wasn't no but I think that there was some talk about the director wanting to get Paulina. Yeah, his wife. Okay. Yeah. Which would have made sense, but the homage is still obvious. Yeah. I love Rick and all that. Yeah, the cars and then Fast Times at Richmond High. That was Chris Applebaum, and we were just like, okay. take it. And he did a killer job. He made it a hit, basically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's so many good 80s references. I don't know if I missed some, but I definitely caught Fast Times at Richmond High, Van Halen, Hot for Teacher, The Cars. Is there anything else? There's got to be other stuff in there too, huh? I might just cover it. That's probably enough. <laughs> That's probably enough. Now, there's no way you could make that. Uh, okay. Sorry. There's no, ma- there's no way you could make that song or that music video in today's times, right? With just all the references, like I'll tell you, innuendos, video, MTV video too. Um, So that was number one at VH1 and MTV. You know, I'd be checking into my room and trying not see it, and then I flipped to VH1 and beyond that. And I was in New York City where I had an apartment, but I was in a hotel. I was like, okay. I guess I can afford to use the mini bar at this point. Maybe the Prochecco looks pretty good. Um, but it was a wild time, really. And then what we did is we put Mexican wine up next for the second single from that record. Yeah. We had a, you know some momentum. Everybody seemed very pleased about it, the label and everyone. And what happened is... Um, there's this incident at the Super Bowl halftime party, halftime, what do you call it? Halftime. Show? <laughs> I want to say party. Yeah, this uh, Janet Jackson. The Janet Jackson thing, thing yeah. It gets a nipple slip come out. Right. And then MTV wouldn't play anything. So Mexican wine was on their desk at this point. Oh. And, um, you know, it was poised to be another big video. But the opening scene has these two, like, you know, prepubescent girls drinking wine in it. 
I don't know if you've seen the video. Oh yeah, no, I think I did see that. I watched I watched as many of the videos that I could find. Some of the songs don't have videos, which is frustrating because I'm like, this is such a good song. I don't know why this one doesn't have a video, but yeah. Well, that's back when the record labels would shell out like three hundred grand for doing something like that. Oh, that's and crazy. It, but MTV couldn't play it because they sponsored the halftime show. They wouldn't play any hip hop or anything sort of racy, if you will. Oh, that's interesting. Two prepubescent blondes were extenuating that they were drinking wine, and you know there were some scantily clad chicks on a boat. They wouldn't play it, and like almost everything went G-rated for six months. Really, I didn't know. That's really interesting. And we were like, wow, we shouldn't have spent that 300 <laughs> Hey, but now you can watch it on YouTube and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because there's, I think, um, a censored version, which I, you know nobody wants, and then the um, regular version, which, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I can't remember it being particular. I haven't seen it for a while, but I can't remember it being particularly that racy. No, I don't think, like, I don't remember it being that yeah, bad either. Super Bowl incident. That's interesting. So do you That's think what that what's that? That's what killed our career. <laughs> no, but do you think that song, uh, Stacy's mom, do you think that ruined life for teenagers named Stacy? It's kind of like today with the, you know, the moms named Karen, that, that name has been ruined. I don't know. They'll think of something next one. <laughs> we'll all get over it. Yeah. Well, what about the other song on that record? Um, hey, Julie, that's a great song. That's on that record, right? Yeah. yeah, that's well, a great record. No. Yeah, it is actually. So. Okay. Cause that's a great song. I didn't realize there's, is there kind of a similarity to uh Tommy two tone song? Eight, six, seven, five, three Oh nine. Uh, not on that one to me, but I would say that, um, there's sort of a, uh, hybrid influence of cars and Jesse's girl and maybe to some degree, Tommy Tucson, but I don't think so so much. You'd have to ask Adam, and I don't think that's going to happen. Right? You weren't you did so you didn't really co-write a lot of this. It was mo- was it mostly Adam writing the songs? Not mostly Adam. No, I think Chris brought in some of my favorite Fountain songs, and um, you know they, they started out basically acoustic, campfirey, and we went to the studio and pre-production mode and just sort of worked out where we think it might go. Mm-hmm. It was all more or less written in the studio in the sessions. Okay. You know, the strummy and the lyrics were there, but the production was not there. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It came with having a studio that we felt comfortable in and it was partially owned by the band. So we didn't feel any real pressure. Yeah, it's amazing how many good songs I never realized. I mean, I think I just knew Founds Away and Stacy's Mom. Okay, that's a good song. But then, you know, I think that's the magic of Spotify. I know a lot of artists hate it, but I went back and listened to a lot of these old songs and they're great. Like Mexican Wine, Hey Julie, Hack and Sack is so good. I'm like, how have I never he- heard these songs before? These should have been all over the radio. And whether you like the music or the songs or whatever, it's just sort of uh, well produced, good sounding albums. And I just got a hold of a vinyl <laughs> of a record that I made and 
sort of didn't even know it was being released, but it sounds amazing. So I'm not going to really like get into it too deep, but a lot of shit is happening now in the music biz to where people don't even know their own music is popping up again on vinyl and somebody owns the rights, I suppose. I mean, they even did a fucking misspelling of or misprint of one of the song titles. I'm like, what? What? Do you, but you get still get a royalty from that, right? No, no, we we didn't even know about it, man. Really? How's that legal? I don't know. I guess there's, you know, I don't know. Hmm. I guess we're sort of in between legalities. Okay. Well, so that uh, sounds amazing. So, going back to this, <laughs> feel free to rewind and go back to more of what you were saying. This the, is the waterways up here. Yes, absolutely. No. That will you'll definitely get royalties for that one, right? You've got a good deal on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully, really final and then start telling people about it. Okay, yeah, but so CD sounds, CD sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm vinyl junkie, so you know what I mean. I want to want to see it, and I think that's within the next couple of weeks. That's going to be exciting. Um, but back to Founds of Wayne. So another song you guys had um, that was, again, kind of under the radar was this song, Someone to Love, off the Traffic and Weather album that was such a, it's such a catchy song. It's a fun video. And Rolling Stone put it in their top 100 songs of the year. But again, like, I mean, that's a huge compliment, but how is this not on the radio? It's so fascinating to me that. I never listened to the radio, so I wouldn't know, but I think it was on the radio. Yeah. Well, and then another one. So we mentioned the song Hackensack, which again, I had never heard it, but now I'm, I'm really loving that song. And uh, Katy Perry loved it too. She covered it. And yeah. uh, that one's like really. I like her version, man. You, know, you I like her version? I do. Yeah. A lot of people want to, you know, slam it. I don't see why. No, it sounds great. And um, I think I didn't, she's awesome. I like everything she's Oh, doing. I think she's, I think she is great too. Great pop artist for what she does. I mean, if you like pop music, she's really good at pop music. Um, but you guys had, I didn't realize how many, um, maybe not the radio so much, but the, the movie and TV stuff, you have 34 credits on internet movie database that I, that was able to find, like you were in songs, uh, movies like scary movie shows like the OC and the Gilmore girls and how I met your mother. Is that because of Adam's movie connections? Cause he did a lot of that stuff on his own. Right. Or did the producers and directors, were they all fans of you guys? Well, I don't know. We did a bunch of stuff for movies, I suppose, like The Manchurian Candidate um, and Scary Movie. I think there's something. Yeah. I remember all that stuff, but I never saw the movie, so I couldn't tell you. Well, hopefully you get a royalty from that because those those are pretty juicy, right? Well, I don't know about that. There's no royalties. The music business was broken before the epidemic. And now it's a pandemic, so imagine how much worse it is. But we did the theme song for Crank Yankers. Oh, you did? Oh, I didn't realize that was you guys. Okay. And I've been watching a lot of Crank lately, and um, it's like David Chappelle and Sarah Silverman. Oh, yeah. Didn't they bring it back, too? I thought they... they... Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel did a lot of good ones, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they brought it back. It was on Comedy Central for a while. I thought they they brought it back. Maybe it, it already is gone now. But I don't even know what bringing it back means. You just go to YouTube these days, right? Well, no, they started making new episodes. I thought. Oh, that'd be cool if they did. Yeah, check it out. I think they did. I don't know how many new ones they made, but I know they made at least like. Come on, come on, we'll be having a ball. 
That's us. We did That's awesome. That. That's so good. I didn't and know that. Gave us the, the DVDs, it was the episodes. I think we did a little incidental music in there as well, but the team is totally found a way. That's really fun. Another connection that you had was a uh, six. I counted appearances on Conan O'Brien. And a lot of that was before your big hit. So was he a fan? Is that why he had you on so many times? Or was there someone that worked there that was a fan? Well, there's a guy called Jim Pitt who um, put out a Kinks uh, tribute record, which was Fountains of Wayne's song, Better Things, which is also tied to a Conan episode, which happened right after 9-11. And my only regret about that is I slept with this girl the night before who wore too much eyeliner. And I was... I put on my Rickenbacker pick guard, NYC, thanks, Rudy. Because <laughs> at the time, okay, I felt like he was sort of holding it together. I certainly didn't vote for him or anything. But now he's just like, <laughs> man. What a fucking rotter. <laughs> he's definitely, uh, it's, yeah. I'm he, so embarrassed by that, man. Well, he, I mean, he did a good job. You, you can separate the two that he, you know, he was doing a good job as mayor of New York, and now he's, He's got the hair dye dripping from his head and some things have gone a little awry with him, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's back when the medicine was still working. In <laughs> that was, no, but Conan. Like if I look at it in real time and Conan did this really super sweet tribute to Adam. Oh, he did. Um, and then played that song and it's a Kings cover. Okay. So going back to your initial question. Yeah. We did a song called better things right after nine 11 and it was on Conan, and it's probably not quite the last time we played. We played there with Harry Shearer, too. So it's probably more than six or seven, I would imagine. Yeah, but, Harry uh, Shearer. Tell me about that. You guys played on his – he has a musical uh, album, and you guys played on a song called Celebrity Booze Endorser, which is really funny. But for people who don't know who Harry Shearer is, he's the voice of Homer Simpson. So how did that come about? That's got to be cool. Did you, did you get to meet him and work – I mean, you worked with him face-to-face or – yeah, we went on Conan, and when Conan moved to L.A., we went on and did that song with him, um, recorded it, and then went on the show. I can't remember which was first. Does he do the Homer voice in front of you? I mean, that's got to be weird to hear the Homer voice in real yeah, life. You know that. He was Nigel. Or no, he was uh, uh, Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. Yeah, that's right. That too. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's there's your rite of passage for me to do anything that guy wants. So we went out there, we recorded it. And then we went out. Oh yeah. That's another story. Then um, we went out to do Conan once Conan had moved from New York to LA. So we go to LA and we do it with Harry, that song celebrity booze endorse or whatever. And um, then hurricane and we're booked to tour starting on the East coast, like somewhere in new England or something. And Hurricane Sandy hits, right? Mm. So I get stuck at Marina Del Rey with this very expensive girlfriend who really enjoyed room service. <laughs> okay. Nice view. I must admit. Uh, long story short, um, I couldn't go on tour because the gigs got, got canceled. Me and my, my home was back in, I was living in Jersey City at the time, so that had like six feet of water and a bunch of my stuff got wiped out. Some, you know, my amps and stuff like that. Valuable equipment that 
microphones. Oh, like, that sucks. Like yours. What are you using there? Is that a Rode? Yeah, it's a. Oh, I forget. It's like the Rode NT1 or NTA1 or something like that. Yeah. That's in the, you know, we'll get into the recording technique here in a minute. And you can edit all this shit. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, lose people when we start talking tech. I don't even know I, technical stuff. I just know this is a good mic. Yeah, it's a good mic. Yeah. I'm better than I do. I'm just going through the computer. Long story short, I get home in my apartment and I have most of my stuff stored in the basement. So it was like under six feet of water. Or you could see the water line and it subsided by then. Oh. And then the tour started. And that's, you know, kind of a story about going out west to do that thing with Harry. Got interrupted and I got stranded on a desert island, LA. <laughs> really posh fucking hotel with room service charges, which eventually broke the bank. But long story short, I made those dates up because it got rebooked. Well, that's good. So is all your stuff okay? Would you lose anything that was like irreplaceable or? It all got fucking ruined. <laughs> Could you replace it though? Or was it like anything that was? It was not a nice thing to have happen. It yeah. wasn't insured, but you know. Could have been I worse. Stuff, you know. Yeah. You only need about four guitars anyway. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Well, um, you know, my condolences about Adam. We've talked a lot about Adam, the, you know, the bass player, the songwriter for Founds of Wayne, which he also had an amazing movie and TV soundtrack career. I mean, we can't even, we could spend like six episodes about his career with his writing, but um, is there a memory or something, a story about Adam that stands out to you that kind of sums up like what he was about or what he was like behind the scenes? Probably about 4,000. How much time do you have? <laughs> and we used to be roommates. This was before the band even started. It was before we even got a drummer. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's tons of stories. I don't know. I don't. What's the best one? Give me the best or the one that you've never told on a podcast that can. I never tell any of them, really. <laughs> okay. But, so I'll try and think of something. Okay. <laughs> what's that ask me something else whilst i'm thinking okay so like obviously you're doing the solo stuff and you're singing and you have you have a i think one or two other solo albums out but you have such a deep voice is it hard to sing high you your voice and your uh music is a little bit higher is it hard to sing higher with such a deep voice no in fact sometimes i sound like a chick because i sing too high but that's more of a falsetto thing. Can you sing both though? Can you sing low? Like, cause I know Axl Rose, I mean, he has such a deep voice just like you, but then he can sing so high, but he also sometimes sings low. Do you ever really? sing low in some of your music? I think I do sometimes. Yeah. I, and if I sing high, it's only because it's falsetto. I can't, I don't have like Robert plant vocal skills. No, not that high. Yeah. And he's like one of a million. He's insane. I'd go low rather than high, just to the comfort zone. But then again, I don't really consider myself a singer. I'm a guitar player. But when you're doing solo, you you have to sing too, right? You're not going to get a singer to... Well, yeah, that's the reason that I didn't really listen to Jeff back until recently. It's because, you know, he's just like a guitar player that doesn't write the songs. 
and doesn't sing them. And it just, it was a little lackluster for me getting into them. Because huh. I never thought of myself as a guitar, you know, like just strictly guitar player. I always thought of myself sort of more of a songwriter, song and dance man. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. um, Jeff, but yeah. I mean, I, I should probably listen more to him. I don't know. Just never really did it for me. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I had somebody on the other day, and he they they were like Jeff Beck was their number one favorite guitarist. Who's your no, number I, one favorite? Is it, would it be Keith Richards or or uh, George Harrison? Or I mean, they'd have to be up there just because of the songs that they did, either played to or riffed, wrote the riffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be the best because that's the best music. But no, I would have to say Jimmy Page. Okay. And yeah. Because I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. I've had to say this before, and it seems like some people didn't understand what I meant. But what didn't they understand? Didn't your dad have all the Zeppelin records? Isn't that how you got into them? Yeah. But the reason I have to say he was the most important, maybe not the best. I mean, what is the best? I mean, what color do you like? Red or blue? You know, it's all preference, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But he was certainly the most versatile. Like you go from Zeppelin two, you know, where he's just he's cranking out these just effortless riffs, and the whole song becomes that. And you know, I mean, tell me about a hook and a <laughs> rock and roll song, Jimmy Page, man. And then there's Led Zeppelin three. It's almost all acoustic, kind of. And it's got that yeah. to it. You know, who's that versatile? He taught me how to be, so maybe me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, yeah, because your song, um, you had a song, uh, since Fountains of Wayne and Adam obviously had a lot of movie and TV stuff, but you had your own movie and t- TV stuff. You had A Beautiful Life was on a, a big movie, the Messenger soundtrack with Woody Harrelson, and that's a great song. Did they did they come to you and pick that song out, or did you, did you submit it, or how did that come about? Well, here's the story on that one. The director, or maybe even the writer, I'm not sure, but he had done a lot of stuff that I liked. And I went to dinner with him. His name is Aaron Moverman. Okay. Really good. And he did some other wicked good stuff. He did that uh, biopic on Brian Wilson. Oh, yeah. That was a great movie. Wish I could have gotten something in that. I know a few people that did, but that's never been my sort of shtick is to try and get in movies. But yeah, I met him and I smoked a joint with Woody outside of this bar. Wow. You smoked a joint with Woody Harrelson? He was a cool dude. He's up there in the top three. I want to do a Facebook page of all the coolest people I've smoked a joint with. Who are the other ones? It's not well. I'll tell you this. It's not Willie Nelson. And is that incriminating? I think we all agree that marijuana is probably good for everybody, including their grandmother these days. Yes, yes. Yeah, my dad smokes pot. He had cancer, so then he started smoking pot. It's legal. It's legal in Washington. Say it's legal You're in Arizona. Arizona, right? We had this friend, and you met April earlier, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. A friend of ours called Tracy, and it kept her alive with cancer for four years, and she was out where you are. What town are you in? Uh, Scottsdale. Right. I think she was in Timothy. Not really sure. Uh, 
Anyway, I stayed there with them for a while. I like it out there. It gets a little warm. There. Yeah, it's hard, tough in the summer, but the rest of the year, like right now, it's gorgeous. It's perfect. This is the best time to visit. Yeah, but it kept Tracy on it for another three plus years, and we we're all big advocates. Mm-hmm. Did you smoke weed with uh, Snoop? That's got to be in the top five, right? No. No? It, it's a little better than that. Are you going to tell me? Well, I think I should save it for my book, don't you? Ah, uh, No, this is the best thing right here. <laughs> okay. Well, now I have to rethink it, but the top of the list was Keith. And he, you actually did that, or that's what your bucket list yeah, to do? I had him when I was 19, and I, you know, I was just a shit kicker from Charleston, South Carolina. It was not really a dream. I was always too apathetic to want to be a rock star, but you know, I, was, I was a musician. I knew it. I was like, I'm going to have to do this and try and, you know, carry myself through life and make some dough out of it. Maybe get rich, and I, I'd, I was like, I'll take that. You know, no, it was never like to be on TV because MTV was so cheesy to me. You know? It's just like I don't want to look like Spandau Ballet. So I go <laughs> on MTV. You know, Spandau Ballet. I like the True song though. That's a good hit. That band kept me from wearing a suit for about fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so how the hell did you find Keith Richards? I don't think he's the most accessible person. I was friends with Steve Jordan, who's still to this day his expensive Arno's right hand man. And um, Steve used to be the drummer on the David Letterman show. Okay. Before Anton, who was probably what you grew up watching. And I remember Steve, but I was kind of young too. It was like a little past my bedtime. Anyway, meeting Steve introduced me to that situation. Which, um, you know, more or less turned into a jamming session every once in a while. It was really fun. Wow. So you, you got to jam with Keith Richards? No, I never jammed with Keith, but I did go to his house in Jamaica once. I did. Sort of like jamming. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Was that like on a private jet or something like that? I didn't know he had a house in Jamaica. Yeah. Coach. And then they gave me the hassle with, customs coming in and all that right so anyway so he's you've done it with him and then woody harrelson and that's who who else is in the top three johnny which johnny Johnny. oh johnny mitchell yeah hash joint with her when was that uh, several times actually where was it or when when was it that had to have been a long time ago Stern shows. <laughs> What's that? I feel like I'm on the Howard Stern shows. <laughs> I'm trying. I do my best imp- imp- impression Angel. of them. Are these my friends? Well, I, I thought of them very much. And then Anita, um, who is on my record. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about on that one? On your on your new record, Waterways? Yeah. She, she which song does she play on? I'll be I'll I'll be Alex Trebek and you be you. <laughs> what song on my new record Waterways did Anita Pallenberg contribute? That one I don't know. I I Beat poetry too. I don't know, but you know I like the new album. It sounds I could totally picture you performing those songs like acoustically, like just you and an acoustic guitar, like stripped down. Do you think that's how you'll do it? 
No, that's not how I'm going to do it. But really? I could do it that way for the first time, probably. I think that'd be cool. That. I think I'd be curious to hear how they sound just acoustically. It could work that way too, but I like to play with other people. Yeah. So are you going to tour once uh, you're allowed to tour? You know what? If it hadn't been for this pandemic, I probably wouldn't have. But now I'm sort of itching to do it weirdly. Oh. So yeah, I guess I'll do that. I, I, is it true you did a show with uh, the Iron Maidens? Well, that's kind of an interesting combination because they're like a female Iron Maiden cover band. And I saw you I on a some sort of is this is the Viper Room in LA? I don't know. I just saw a picture on one of your social media thing, and it was like Jody Porter and the Iron Maidens. I'm like, that's such a random combination. You know who that is, though, right? The Viper. I didn't get to see him, but we had this uh, residency <laughs> in LA for my record before last. Hmm. So we were playing there like every Monday. The record was called Month of Mondays. So we did a residency. And for some reason, they were on the bill. But I, I didn't see them. I've seen the picture that you're talking about. Yeah, I just thought that was that's kind of interesting. I, I've never seen them live, but that would be that would be an interesting... Uh, who went first? Did they, did they play and then you played? or? Yeah, but when they played, everybody that had like, you know, sort of eighties hair left. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's totally different crowds, but then probably your fans came in afterwards to catch your music. Cause that's totally different. Yeah. And we had, I think Shepard Ferry was DJ and the after party. So it was a fun couple of Mondays that we had. Yeah. It was one month of Mondays. Cause that was the name of the record. Uh-huh. Now I did. I really didn't want to do it. It was sort of booked without my um, uh, saying it. thumbs up to. Okay. Yeah. And then you've, you've done some, uh, you've helped out some other artists like Juliana Hatfield and uh, Albert ha- Hammond Jr. And the monkeys, you got to play with the monkeys. Was that yeah. fun? I enjoyed that. You know, we did a couple of records with the surviving members of the monkeys. Yeah. Did, and they that was one of those things where they reached out to you? Adam had it because, um, you know, Adam was just a really great yeah, producer. Yeah. yeah all those, did, okay. Did you, so now we brought up Adam again. Did you think of a good story that re, you remember about him? Well, let's rewind to like before our first record came out. We had this uh, cat called Ice Cream Head. It was his cat. You probably had her for, I don't know, five, six years. She's a calico, and the face looked like sort of a, it looked like a COVID mask, basically. <laughs> Interesting. You know? Yeah. And um, uh, with that said, Ice Cream Head used to bite the girls that I'd bring back to the apartment to dance with, right? Uh-huh. Keep mind, this was back in the... Uh, Sort of late, no, mid-90s. Mid-90s, okay. And uh, we shared an apartment on Jane Street in Manhattan. And at one point or another, the band would have to start working, but this is before we even had a drummer. So we go to this place on Hudson Street called the Art Bar, and eventually some girls would like want to come hang with us and stuff. And then ice cream had the cat would bite the girls. (laughs) 
I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it wasn't so how did they anymore. react? Did they did, did they, they leave or? Hey, but the cat ended up ending the party because it would bite them. Oh, so then they'd leave. They'd be like, ah, screw this. Sort of telepathy, you know. This is sort of yeah. We did that. You know, still listening to spiritualized and stuff like that back then. Okay, interesting. (laughs) It must have been interesting times living. Like that's always the most memorable things. Like before you guys have success, like kind of that grind, right? Of of of. We felt like something was about to start happening for sure. You know. Oh, you had that feeling. Yeah, we had the record label and everybody's really enthusiastic, but we didn't really, I mean, I think we got what we thought we'd get, you know what I mean? I I don't think anybody really wanted to be like Coldplay or something, play arenas. Just wanted to have enough success that you could tour. We wanted to play arenas, but we didn't want to be like Coldplay. (laughs) Not a Coldplay fan then. I like some of it. What kinds of music do you listen to now? Is there is there other artists out there that you're a fan of that are making good music? Like any, just like anything. I saw. Here, should I play this? I don't think my phone is anywhere near here. But um, something something popped up that's just really horrible sounding. But I got addicted to it. Some sort of a thing on TikTok. Like these girls singing this song that they play in the shopping centers and stuff. This plaintive ballad. <laughs> I'm just fascinated that? that you're on TikTok. That's, that's you do not seem like the t- typical TikToker. Somebody posted. I don't even know TikTok. Somebody, my goddaughters told me that I should be on it because okay, it's there, and that there's a lot of found ways stuff. But I don't know how to use TikTok. Anyway, this thing it did appear on it, and it's these girls singing this goddamn song. It's it's infectious and it's out of tune, but I love it. I like it better than the original. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Well, so tell me uh, one last pitch for your, your new album, Waterways. Tell us about uh, why we should get that. Why you should get it? Yeah. Tell people what, what it's about. What are there, is there themes with it? Like, I mean, it seems a little bit almost like it seems kind of dark. Am I crazy? Well, it's, I'll give you a little backbeat on Waterways. Okay. Okay. So for some reason, I decided to revisit my roots in England. And uh, I enjoyed this, you know, to some degree. But when I was 19, I lived there for three years. I couldn't wait to get back to America. I missed simple shit like David Letterman or, you know, just the, you know, stuff I was sort of used to. Au courant when I was an American boy. But um, then I went back to England, and it was interesting because I lived on the coast rather than in London. I went to Kent, and uh-huh. that's where I started this record, and that was about two years ago. So it was sort of polished off by early last year, like, say, February. I think it was already mastered. So it's not really a COVID record, but it is sort of dark, and... I think the reason it feels that sort of like undertone of what's going to happen next is because of, you know, sort of Trump era, you know. So it was polished off before coronavirus was even a vocabulary word. 
but it echoes a weird 2020 to it. And it resonates that way. I hear it. It's, yeah, it's definitely some weird times going on right now. So, yeah, okay, that, that's fair to say. So that's maybe some the the dark times maybe kind of inspired a little bit of a darker record. No, it's definitely not death metal. No, <laughs> no it's not that dark. Mellow. Heavy mellow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that heavy mellow. Yeah, it is. It's because it's very mellow music. That's why I say like I could picture it. You just with an acoustic guitar, like I feel like that'd be fun to to hear those songs stripped down too. Well, I would do it right now for you, Nate, but I don't have an acoustical guitar here. No, that's fine. That's fine. Fair enough. But yeah, people can listen on Spotify. And like I said, you have a, I think there's at least one other, there might be two albums on Spotify, but for some reason your Spotify is split into two different accounts. So you should have uh, your manager try to fix that. Cause that's, cause <laughs> at first I, record label. which one, what's that? The manager or the record label? I don't know. Somebody else, it shouldn't be your job to do that. It should be somebody else's job. Will you do it? <laughs> I don't think I have any power. I can't just. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> oh God, you're funny. Is it true? I thought I heard you talking about this. I couldn't tell if you were joking or being serious. Do you really have a pet squirrel? No, but one time a squirrel. Where did you hear about that? I heard you in an interview talking about this pet squirrel, and I was like, "Is he fucking with me?" Well, like, I don't remember doing an interview about a squirrel, but there was definitely a squirrel that was like sort of like I, I couldn't figure out where he was coming from because I used to live and make this record that we're talking about. Yeah, waterways, deep mountain territory down Asheville, North Carolina way. Okay, and. um you know, as I said before, I started this thing in England and then moved there. Had my gear kind of put in there, my studio and all that. And um, that's where I did that. And this squirrel, he's like a studio squirrel. And um, he was a good boy. He's an inspiration. He would come in. Did you let him inside the house? No, he came in on his own accord. And I couldn't figure out where he's coming from. I was primarily there on my own, although I did have some guests from time to time. But nobody could really figure it out. And sometimes he'd be there. Sometimes he'd just be somewhere else. And there's no way to figure out where um, Sid, we called him, I think. It's about S-Y-D. Okay. Sid, as in Sid, uh, not Barrett. Okay. But it's so there's just magically the squirrel in the house. It doesn't frighten you or, I mean, aren't squirrels rabid and they bite really hard and yeah, there's probably other things that'll bite you first. I think squirrels are pretty cool. Okay. Fair. Yeah. I, mean, I guess the cat, uh, ice cream was the biting thing. Ice cream. Head. Ice cream head. That's kind of a nice, that's kind of a fun name for a cat. I kind of like that ice cream. It made perfect sense. Mm. That's really cool. Awesome. Well, uh, definitely, uh, people should check out the waterways album. And then, uh, I do like, to, yeah, there it is. That's cool. It's got the CD and the vinyl is coming out at some point you say. Yeah. I think in the next couple of weeks. Okay, cool. And then I like to end each episode with a charity. I forget. It was there one that you had that you yeah, worked with I, or you want to, it's kind of broad. I mean, just something like the humane society maybe. Okay. Yeah. I can put that in the notes. If people can okay, throw a few maybe. bucks there after they yeah. buy your record. Let's concentrate on the animals. They, they have nothing unpolite to say these days. No, that's 
Definitely true. I love animals. Absolutely. Well, thank you okay. so much for doing this, Jody. I appreciate it. All right. <laughs> All right, man. Take it easy. Okay, I'll see what I can do. I did not realize that that was Fountains of Wayne on the Crank Anchors theme song. Uh, so many other great songs, too. Check out that band's catalog. Check out Jody Porter's solo record. Make sure to follow them to keep up with what they're doing. I guess I should have asked if Fountains of Wayne is ever even going to tour again or do shows. Whoops. Uh, but it does sound like Jody will do some shows, so there is that. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please let me know by liking it or sharing it or leaving a comment on social media or YouTube. And again, make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube to keep up with the future episodes. I've got some really interesting guests lined up, so it'll be interesting to see if other people follow me down this rabbit hole with the show or if they abandon ship. But thank you for listening to this episode and making it all the way through. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And remember, shoot for the moon. <laughs>